0: Hey everybody, this is Andrew Wicklander, the founder of Ideal Project Group, and uh, welcome to another episode of Project Idealism. Um, Today I am really, really excited to be with Lance Wally. Uh, Lance has been basically building businesses for a couple decades, um, and I had the pleasure of meeting him at South by Southwest uh, a few weeks ago. Uh, Lance is uh, one of the co-founders of Parallax a co-founder of Engine Yard, and most recently, one of the founders of Chargify, uh, and we are going to talk about building businesses um, and all that good stuff. So Lance, thanks a ton for joining me. Cool. Hey, thanks a lot for having me. Absolutely. And I will, will start off, Lance and I, I've been following you on Twitter for a little while, and uh, you'll occasionally talk about lovebirds, and maybe some people are going to
1: hear a bird in the background during this interview. Lance has
0: you have one or many lovebirds? Is this your
1: uh, I actually don't have a lovebird. Um, I oh. have one. Uh, it's called a pearly conure. It's uh, more easily just known as a tiny parrot. She's a parrot, but smaller than you've ever seen a parrot.
0: Ah, okay, okay. <laughs> See, I thought we had something in common here. I used to have a lovebird, and it flew away. And so no, I, don't. I, don't, I don't know too many other people that that have birds at all. You know, so
1: yeah, they're kind of rare. And I did have lovebirds at an earlier point in my life. So, but they were really my mom's.
0: Right on, right on. Okay, so let's talk a little bit about uh, – so, I mean, there's so much that we could talk about <laughs> with you since you've been building companies for so long. So, I think some of the, the, the like, the things that I'm, I'm, like, keenly interested in are you've built businesses both what would be considered, like, bootstrapping and sure. also uh, working with VC money and, like, building a team with, um, essentially, other people's money, right? All right. yeah, that's true. So. Um, let's start off just by uh, you know, you talking about some of the differences between building businesses those way um, those different ways and some of the like the pros and cons and um, you know I guess the different challenges that you run into with each with each of the options. Right. Sure.
1: Um, and I should note also, Injiog was the one where uh, we took money. Um, but just to note, we bootstrapped it to get it going, and spent the first year bootstrapping, which to me means you know funding it from revenue, uh, from home equity, from credit cards, from friends and family. We raised a small, we would raised you know a hundred something k from friends and family in two different rounds. So, in other words, all businesses I've been part of really were bootstrapped, either. Indefinitely, or at least for like a year or so. Okay. <laughs> um, and okay. then Engine Yard was approached by some great VCs, and we decided to take uh, money from Benchmark after about a year. Gotcha.
0: Okay. Okay. Okay.
1: So, um, so you you've
0: always you've always started with the product, and then gotten the money, as opposed to the money and then building a product. With yeah,
1: them. and I haven't forgotten your original question, but the uh, the funny story there is like. My friend Tom and I, who initially started Yard and later brought in um, Ezra and Jason, um, we had kind of, you know, we were kind of content and doing reasonably well up here in Sacramento. Um, we had in previous times failed at trying to raise money for ideas we had, um, and so by this point, here's the irony: by this point, we weren't even looking for money. Right. Like we were like, we were like, hey, we're going to make a specialized web hosting company modeled on Rackspace. And, and there's my bird. Sorry about that. It's um, all good. It's all good. And uh, we're gonna build this company, and we're just gonna like do as we've seen others do with hosting. Um, we're gonna charge enough to to uh, run a good business, and so that so that just the the crazy irony is like the one time that we it literally kind of not. Thought it was even part of it. In other words, we didn't even think about it, and then say no to ourselves. We just weren't thinking about it. Right. It's like like as far as we were concerned, it just wasn't part of the equation. We were going to build a company. We were going to serve customers. We were going to use our like home equity and maybe some friends and family, and we were going to be happy. Right. Um, right. It. The money came after us because we were doing something interesting in a new market, and the market's very interesting. We'd be on rails, um, and a few uh, really smart VCs saw that as as a part of the future. Um, So, so anyhow, uh, your question earlier was like, you know, what's different between the two different paths? Right. Um, again, my perspective is going to be not exactly what you wanted because none of the paths has ever just started with VC. Right. But, um, but what I will say is like my default thinking is always to get it going with whatever money and resources I have or my co-founders have, or like in the Chargeify case, they're part of a larger company grasshopper that already already clearly had resources, uh, uh, being, being put to use. um, And then, to me, VC is something you approach, or any kind of real investment beyond, say, friends and family, is something you approach once you really have some traction and you can show that it's real. Um, Now, it's like, I know there's plenty of gargantuan success stories out there where they weren't making any money and and whatever. They they at least had traction. Twitter had traction, you know. Right, Um, right. They weren't making money, but they had traction. Um, But... In my experience with investors, until it's this whole chicken and egg thing, like until you show that you have some interest and there's a kind of a market that likes what you've got, or at least seems to indicate they like what you've got and willing to pay for it, then most investors aren't super interested. (laughs) Like, like even the early stage ones aren't interested in just throwing money into the wind. Um, It's like they want to see something, and so that's why you know, even with Engine Yard, I don't. Know that they would have invested on day one. It's because we had no proof, you know. Yeah, right, right, right. So what what happened there is they started hearing from companies that they were investing in that they were hosted at this place called Engine Yard and la la la. So they were they were getting another perspective. I'm like, oh wow, this Engine Yard thing must be real. Okay. Um, now I will say this: the difference that was clear once we did take money is that I always tell people that it's like throwing uh, gasoline on a fire, and it's in, in a good way. Um, I mean, it's a good way you can also abuse it, um, but, like, it, it's, it really does speed up. I mean, it allows you to do what you need to do without, this is going to sound bad, but without the concern for profitability or maybe even, like, reason. Um, I mean, obviously, like, it needs to be reasonable, and you've got a board of directors watching you, and you've got your reputation long-term. Obviously, you don't want to be, like, seen as a, as a dumb shit or someone who just throws money away. Right, uh, right. But, for instance, with the Engine Yard story, um, before we took VC, we were making some money. I'm not even clear, like, exactly how much because I'm not a, a finance guy um, the way we later had people. But we were making money, but you could feel the stress of, like, we need more support. We need, you know, more, we'd like to sponsor more things. We'd love to sponsor, like, a, a whole team working on this or that uh, open source project or whatever. There's things that the VC, once we took it. Um, just immediately allowed us to say, for instance, we think Rubinius is part of the future. We need to fund that. Um, we think that uh, you know later we wanted to have people helping on the Rails support team. We need to fund that. Um, okay. Or uh, or and one of the very first things we spent money on was we knew our support guys were getting burned out, um, and so we immediately told the support league guy like, hey, you know, uh, you've got freedom now to hire uh, three more guys or four more guys or whatever it was. Um, so it allows you a freedom. To get ahead. In other words, like by hiring a handful of sport guys without having to worry about whether or not you can really afford it, um, yeah. it. it allows you to instantly once you've got them hired, instantly like keep your eye on customer sat instead of profitability. And again, it doesn't mean you can just never worry about profitability, but our brand was supposed to be, you know, customer satisfaction, great support, 24/7 La, la, la. And the problem is is that when you only have 100 customers, you frankly probably can't afford that to keep that promise. Okay. Um, the VC allows you to scale up to some much larger number of customers. I think your camera is... Oh, there. You're back. Um, VC allows you to get ahead, get the staff in place, keep your customers happy, protect the brand promise. And, it, of course, eventually the idea is, is that your revenues, of course, catch up. Right, 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 right. Okay. So how
0: does that model... Uh How is that different from the Chargify being part of Grasshopper model? Because I know Chargify is like one of numerous companies that are owned by Grasshopper. Is that right?
1: Well, I don't frankly know if the other things they're working on are separate companies. I don't think so. Okay. Um, I came along and found that the Grasshopper people, I thought they were doing great things. I love their focus on entrepreneurs. And they were obviously seeing the almost identical need that I was seeing. Uh, to do something like Chargeify. So, long story short, um, I invested some money, came on board, and, and it's been a year and a half since, and, and I think we're all doing good things. One thing that super appealed to me, which is new for me, was in my past I'd either bootstrapped, maybe with a couple partners, and in one case taken some VC later. Um, I've, I've, of course, had a regular 9-to-5 job before in my life. I mean, that's another option. Right. Um, the option I'd never tried, which this was, but I didn't know it at the time, was, oh, hey, it's like here's a seven-year-old stable company, you know, 50 people, profitable, a lot of good stuff, a lot of stuff in place you have to otherwise build, you know, HR, PR, right, not, right, right, everything's right. All, it's all already in place. Um, they've got this little, like, company in a company, and so I can join that, invest in it, and, like, try this other track, which is, like, neither really a brand-new startup, it's not VC, it's not Angel, um, it's funding from an existing enterprise. I mean, of course, this, this isn't that weird of a model. Big companies have this kind of stuff all the time. Yeah, right. right. Um, and so that's what, again, for me, it was just a whole new thing. And, and it, it very much appealed to me because I had seen that they're good at getting the word out, the brand. I like the brand that they, were, that they were getting out there. They have a good team. They have a great guy who was the architect of it, um, great team writing it. It's all Ruby on Rails, which appealed to me. It was hosted on Engine Yard, which appealed to me. Right. Um, you know, all these things were good. It was it was again, I think it's kinda cool. It's I see it as similar monetarily, it's probably roughly equivalent to starting something and taking, you know, one or two million dollars and then and then spending it over time, which is essentially what Grasshopper and I did. Okay. Um, Okay. You know, it's like in other words, the money was coming from us instead of an outside source. Okay, whatever.
0: Right. Um, Right. And
1: and it was coming from the years of work and profit building Grasshopper.
0: Yep. Yep. So, real quick for for people listening that may not be aware, Chargify is a platform that developers can use to um, basically easily handle the recurring billing portion of their web applications or some other thing that they may be selling where there's they have a recurring revenue model. Um so you have a few competitors out there what are so what are some of the things that you guys do to differentiate yourselves from your competition, and why do you think there there are some developers that are going with you guys over some of your competition
1: uh, let's see here. I can answer that best by kind of reflecting back what I hear in a lot of sales calls or emails or whatever the communication medium is right um People seem to see us as a reasonably rich feature set, reasonably rich API, um, a strong organization, um, a trustworthy one. Right. And it kind of... It, and what's interesting about that is it places us. If you look at it like visually, it places us right below in their minds um, the set of competitors that have been around for many years that are very well-funded, like tens of millions of dollars, Okay. Um, and it places us right above the other kind of like newer startup companies akin to us, so it places us in this interesting middle ground, Okay. and we win a lot of sales because the the person I'm talking to will be saying, well, it's like, I want a good feature set, I want the features I need anyway, I'm even okay if you have some features that I'm waiting for that come out in three or six months, um, so I'm happy there, Lance, and then... I'm also pretty happy to look at your side and see that you're part of this larger entity, which gives me trust. Um, you know, you guys seem to have kind of both. Right. And, it's like, and again, it's, I, I, it wasn't lost on me when I made the decision to join these guys, because I knew that this is a critical service, and our customers are going to look at us as well as Feature Set. Right. So, And I
0: saw your, you, I can't remember how long ago it was, I think it was a few months ago, you did an interview with Andrew Warner on Mixergy. Yeah. And and when we were at the coffee shop at South by Southwest we were chatting a little bit about um, just the <clears throat> Oh man I like totally blanked out here for a minute. <laughs> 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 we were chatting about um, oh just your the the way in which like as your as Chargeify has grown, like the, the needs or the requirements of some of the new customers has yeah. also started to change. So I think you mentioned, like, at, at first when when Chargeify was launching, you are having a lot of smaller independent developers that they weren't asking questions about um, anything really, other than how good is your, <laughs> how good is your API. Yep. And as you started getting more traction, you had people that wanted to, you know, that started asking questions about your PCI policy, your PCI security certifications, and all sorts of other things. So what are the like? Have you had to draw the line between, like, okay, we are, like, we are servicing this group of developers, or we are, like, we want to go after all these, these like, huge companies as well that might want us to fill out, you know, dozens of documents? Where do you, like, what's, what's going on with that, and where do you draw the line, and all that kind of stuff?
1: Well, of course, it sent... At our youthful age as a company and the market's still kind of new, I mean, we're some of that stuff we figure out as we go along, but I can safely say that, you know, our pricing is such that we don't appeal to, you know, someone with almost no money. I mean, you have to be willing to spend 39 or $99 a month to use us.
0: Yeah, right. So
1: that, I mean, that alone eliminates some people that, frankly, were able to use us before our price change last fall, and... I hate turning people away because the salesman in me wants as much of the market as possible. Um, but it's like we also just found that to run a good business, we had to make that change. Mm-hmm. Um, on the upper end, I don't think – I don't have any plans. We don't have any plans uh, or really kind of any desire right now to pursue truly large, complex merchants. Um, Because, like, as I've taught, I've had sales calls where people say, hey, I'm looking at you versus uh, one of the high-end ones. Mm -hmm. Um, And some of the stuff they need is truly high-end. It's, like, it's super complicated. It's, like, it's not going to be needed by many, blah, blah, blah. And so that kind of customer, and, of course, they want, like, super stringent service-level agreements. And they want, like, you know, they want to have you by the balls. And they want some really unusual features. (laughs) And they may be willing to pay a lot for it. But I just think um, I think there's a great sweet spot where we are, which is you know startup slash small business or SMB, which like basically startup to to small or medium business. And medium business is a very loose term. I mean, like from the standpoint of like Warren Buffett, a medium sized business might be like five thousand people or something. But like, but but in my book, in my book, a smaller medium business is you know up to maybe a couple hundred employees. And a, or the revenue really matters a lot too, of course, as part of that definition. But like, um, you know, a company that, that is doing revenue in the multi-millions, uh, maybe a hundred employees. And, and the only reason any of that matters is because as companies get really big, of course, the requirements typically change. And so we see all the way from the small company to the medium one, similar concern. Like even the small guys these days are becoming concerned with like how stable are you as my critical billing app. Right. So they're not unconcerned about it. They're less concerned about it, uh, more willing to take risks. And as soon as you cross that line into ones that are just a little bigger, been in business a few years, maybe they have a board of directors, maybe they've got some real revenue running, then they it really kind of flips to, like, who we are and how we're composed as a company becomes more important, frankly, than, than precise feature set. Okay. Um, but anyway, to answer your question, it's like I don't – my quick answer is I kind of don't ever – Want to go for the kind of customer that requires, for instance, a uh, a sales force and a long sales cycle and a contract to be drawn up and blah blah blah. It's like other competitors are doing a great job there. I don't want to go there.
0: Okay. Okay. Yep. So let's um, let's like switch gears a little bit. I can't remember the name of the company. I'm drawing a blank right now. But you you talked about it in uh, MixerG G, and I checked out your your LinkedIn profile. Um, it was the video, like the IM video chatting uh, <laughs> yep. company. And the reason I'm bringing it up is even when you so your your LinkedIn profile mentions like people didn't like it, like you know I loved it, but they didn't get it and it failed something something to that effect. But I when I was watching you on Andrew Warner um, on Mixergy, you there still seemed to be like a little part of you that was a little like perplexed that it didn't like. Take off, right? So, can you explain a like what that company was and what it did, and then we'll talk a little bit about you know why the why it wasn't adopted the way that you
1: um, thought it would be when you launched it. Well, I mean, it wasn't adopted because people are stupid. Well, Um, (laughs) uh, no, but anyway, obviously, it doesn't matter if they if they they are stupid, they have the right to be. And if you want to if you want to get rich, you have to just accept that. but uh, <laughs> so it doesn't matter what I think, really. Um, no, it's like it, it. was a prime example of a couple of nerdy guys, you know, me and my friend Tom, old friend Tom, um, thinking we were onto something that was incredibly good. Uh, and 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 this is living... the same
0: Tom, real quick. That was one of the Engine Yard co-founders, is that right?
1: Yeah, the same Tom that's an okay. Engine Yard co-founder. Like okay. he and I go back, like till all the way back to when we were like eighteen or nineteen, uh, doing different things together.
0: Right. Right. Um, right. Right.
1: But, like, Apple had just come out with iChat AV Um, audio-video. Within, like, a day, we were like, oh, wow, we could make a proxy server that sits in the middle between, like, person A and person B. And what it could be is, like, you know, uh, I'll give an example. Um, I could set myself up with an AIM account that's my, quote-unquote, seller account, and I could say, hey, if anybody wants to connect to me and talk about whatever you want to talk about, uh, I'm a dollar a minute, you know? And so it would be a way for, like, professionals and famous people, and porn, and anything you can think of, and, like, teachers, and music teachers. Like, we totally thought, like, this is a way that people can communicate and learn from one another, and the person with the knowledge and experience needs to be paid for their time, obviously. Um, So, boom. So so we we totally had, that. we found a guy with the right expertise. Uh, Tom made the front-end side in Rails. Um, In fact, I think it was the first side he did in Rails. Um, We had a back-end guy do all the the C-level stuff for AIM protocol. And long story short, the business was a service in the middle between buyer and seller. Okay, It's like a seller would sign up, fill out a profile, fill out their real AIM address as well as their seller AIM address, um, fill out their hourly rate, la la la, mm-hmm. or minute rate, or whatever. And then, okay, boom, then they're done. And then if someone else wanders along and says, hey, I want to talk to you, you're my, uh, you're my lawyer, I, I want to get some legal advice. Um, the buyer would just you know, pull up the lawyer's seller name in iChat and try to connect. Okay. And the system would say, hey, Mr. Buyer, you haven't registered yet. Follow this link, register with your credit card, and then you'll be allowed through. Yep. And then, and of course, from that point forward, he'd always be allowed through. Right. Um, and it was a beautiful system. It's like once you were registered, you could literally just pull up iChat, Start a chat with Mr. Lawyer, and like it was only about a half second delay or something. I mean, it was nothing. Uh-huh. And then, like, it proxied you through, and you had a normal conversation. It superimposed, uh, it, it, I think it did it superimpose? I think it just did text. I mean, it was wonderful. It's like it would tell the, the like, via text chat that like in the window, it would tell the buyer, like, hey, you're about to be charged a dollar a minute, you know, hang up within 30 seconds and you won't be charged. Right. All that stuff. I mean, it was wonderful. So now, was it, um, was it,
0: was it, uh text only or was it text and video
1: text video audio so yeah
0: it's funny because i I, would, I when i heard you talking about it i was like why didn't that succeed i don't understand. do and when, it's
1: like and i and i have to admit i regret that we let the pat we actually did a patent app a provisional patent app but we let it like um what do they call it we abandoned it or whatever uh, okay and it's like I know damn well I'm going to shoot myself someday because someone's going to do it right with the right timing or something, yeah. and they're going to and it's going to sell for some atrocious amount of money, and it's going to be like, oh shit, we thought of that in like 2005 and we actually did it and nobody cared, um, but long story short, uh, we it was a great example of when we should have, like, gotten the message. Um, and we had poured money into this in time, of course. We right. were consulting. We were doing consulting to pay the bills and putting money into this to, like, quote, unquote, get rich. Um, and, and not just get rich. We were excited. I'm still excited. It's like it was a, it was a cool idea. Yeah. Um, well, this and, is how
0: I learned. Like, I mean, I didn't learn a ton of it, but I learned, like, enough uh, enough Rails to build, you know, a basic data-driven web app. Sure. And the way that I learned was I had a – uh, a guy give me like lessons for an hour every week and we would just have a Skype call and I would like show him my screen and ask him questions about stuff. and Sure. You know, like, so when I was hearing you say this, I was like, oh, that."
1: Yeah, to me, it's, again, it's like now, again, maybe our just timing was wrong or something, but basically right. what we did is once we had the system working... Uh, can you still hear me? Yeah, like yeah, it. yeah, I can still okay, hear you. Cool. Once we had the system working... Um, we then approached different markets. It's like we tried, We went after teachers. We went after you know coaches like life coaches, whatever. music teachers, language teachers. Um, right. We did approach. We approached the porn industry as well. I can't. We approached like four or five markets, let's say. Okay. I think we did some Craigslist ads, and we, we were doing anything we could think of that we could afford. Right. And and we tried to get. I think we. I'm sure we tried to get in the press. I'm sure we tried to get on TechCrunch or whatever. You know, <laughs> la 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 la. And the, the summary of our six or eight months of, of pushing, um, hell, maybe it was a year was that like, no one gave a shit. It's like, (laughs) they really didn't. And it was very weird. It was very odd. Like we kept thinking that if we just push harder and explain it better (coughs) and, and find a new market segment that the light will go on for someone. But the, the response was always the same, no matter who you were talking to. It was always kind of like, why would I, yeah, why would I want that? Why? Why would anybody really want that? You know, it's like, uh, you know, chat's free. Like, we used to hear that, like, oh, chatting's free. Why, why would anybody pay for that? <laughs> you know, and like, and we'd be like, well, what, you know, people pay for lawyers right now. It doesn't matter what mechanism you communicate with your lawyer over, it, it's paid, you right. know, and there's, right. a, you know, ditto for guitar lessons or whatever. It's like, yep. if you, if you, now, of course, you can get a YouTube video that's recorded, um, but if you actually want a good guitar person live, yeah. Yeah, you're right. going to pay, you know? Right. Um, and it's a very easy way to pay. Like, you don't need to send a check. You don't need to, like, the mechanism for payment is inherent in the communication. Right. Um, Right. So, anyway, but like I said, it's a great lesson of, for whatever reason, the world either didn't like it, or it wasn't ready, or who knows what. Uh, we pushed and pushed. We eventually gave up. Yeah. (laughs) And and then, like, in retrospect, it's like the, the message from the world was clear, like, six months before we gave up. Okay. Um... You know, so, I mean, we didn't waste, like, years and years. Um, and, and it's one of those, you know, people ask me, like, how do you know when to give up versus stick it, yeah, out? I stick it yeah, out? I was just going to ask you that. Yeah, I was just going to ask you that. And the scary thing is I don't know. Like, um, the, the one thing that, that Tom will tell people that kind of makes sense is, like, with Chargeify, with Engine Yard, uh, with Parallax, the company way back, with those companies, there was, when we finally struck something that, that a market wanted, the market spoke reasonably soon. It's like, you know, Parallax had a product called the Basic Stamp, which goes back about 20 some odd years. It's like, it was kind of a weird product, but the first month we sold 100, and later they sold them by the millions. But the point of my story is, is the first month we sold 100. Right. You know? and, and the next month we sold 200, and the next month we sold 310. You know, it's like, and then in the case of Engine Yard or Chargeify, it's like the demand for what we're selling is. Pretty quick. It doesn't mean that you're at scale, but like there are people out there willing to pay for what it is you're offering, and so you know maybe that's the trick. This <laughs> like, yeah, right, right. Is anyone <laughs> actually want what you're selling, and then if they do, then of course, then then obviously you need to figure out is a big enough market and, and all that. But in the face uh, Facebridge case, um, you know, again, if I if I use that rule, like we were pushing and pushing and pushing, and people were not interested.
0: Yeah. Okay. So that's a great I, I I appreciate you talking about that because it's a good it's just a it's a, it's a great story and uh, I think I, I find it helpful for sure so <laughs> sure. Um, all right so we'll we'll wrap up over the next like five ish minutes here um, okay. one of the things that that I wanted to chat with you about is uh so when I'm seeing you like put out updates and that kind of thing on Twitter and whatnot it seems like you're basically working from like wherever whenever, right? So sometimes like you're you're you went on a motorcycle ride for an hour <laughs> and then you're like hanging out in the coffee shop for a day and that's where you'll be working. You you tweet about how you take you know you, you pull over on the side of the road to take customer phone calls. So what I'm driving at though is that I'm interested in hearing like your perspective is somebody who, who seems like not only are you still building businesses but that I'm assuming the way that you are working today is dramatically different than the way that you were working 20 years ago, right? And so just talk a little bit about, like, you know, the way that you work, the way you go about doing, you know, your your day and in in, in how you leverage the, the technology that we have now
1: to, like, to get things done. I wonder if it is all that different. Maybe I haven't grown. Um. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, I mean, maybe no. I just made, the, made a wrong assumption, right? No, 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 no. I would say, I mean, you know, anybody at my age who's done a lot of work, eventually like you realize some obvious things. So this isn't just unique to me. It's just like, yes, you know, try to delegate things to other people who can do them better or or at least get them off your shoulders. And generally, of course, what you want is people who do stuff better. Um, that's a lesson that friends and I have only learned relatively recently, like last 10 years or five years. Um, so the first lesson is try not to do everything yourself. Second lesson is, is hand things to people who do it better. So I'm happy to pay a really good lawyer, for instance, because she's really, really good. Um, right. Ditto for CPA and you know, all the obvious stuff. Um, so, yeah, and then technology, of course, allows us to get more and more leverage in that same arena. Um, it allows me to stay in touch with customers, stay on top of what's going on, stay in touch with the team, the dev team, the support team, and even be doing support, even though I do like to roam around a lot. It's like I only like to work at home half the day or a third of the day. It's like I like to be out, I like to be out amongst people even while I work okay. um, because I don't get that because I'm a remote worker. Um, and, uh, and then, yeah, I'll go, I'll go work out. Or I'll go for a motorcycle ride or whatever. But guess what? It's like a, and this is probably just the obsession part. It's like I'm always checking Twitter. I'll pull off on the motorcycle to get gas. I'm checking Twitter. I'm checking Chargeify Twitter. It's like if there's a customer with a question, I'm answering it, you know, blah, blah, blah. Um, so that all that stuff, I'm I'm communicative. I'm probably overly communicative, um, which balances out my co-founders who really kind of aren't. Um, and the, and I and someone asked me recently, like, you know, what do you, uh, where do you know, wh- where your, what things do you like to focus on in the business? And I said, well, I'm really concerned about product. You know, where's the roadmap going? We have a great team and a great lead of that team. I don't want to micromanage it, but I'm concerned about the product and where it's headed. And then I'm connected to and concerned about customers. How are they being treated? What are they telling us they need? And then, and then those, if you look at it, those two areas mesh. They come together really well. Right. It's like you should, you should, there should be a feedback loop that encircles both of those things. Okay. Um, and then, of course, there's other great people in Boston who are handling all sorts of stuff that I don't have to think about. Like people will ask me, you know, like how are leads coming in? Well, leads come in from several different things that, that the, the um, Boston team has been working on for a couple of years. Right. And the, the beauty is, is that they're good at it, and I don't even really have to know how they do what they do. I just know that they're good at it. Okay, um, And ditto for everyone else there who's running the knock and the finance guys and the HR people. I mean, that's – I don't know if this answers your question, but, like, you know, one of the things I've learned is to try – it's like a joke I had. I remember talking to the VCs at Engine Yard early on. Like, my aim is to do – Less and less <laughs> and, like, and my aim is to not work. It was some joke like that, and they they laughed because they got it. They're like, you never get away from work, but what you want to do is narrow your focus more and more and more to the stuff you're good at and things that matter,
0: yeah, okay, so this is like this is a great segue, and I think what what will end up being the last the the last thing that i that I ask you about so you mentioned about ten minutes ago or so. That when you were working on the the, the, the video, the, the video payment tutorial yeah. thing that did Facebridge. Yep. Yeah, Facebridge, right? So, um, you mentioned that you were doing some consulting work on the side to pay the bills and that kind of stuff. So I, I, and also a number of people that I know are like working on their own products, but they're essentially doing freelancing to ex- do exactly what you're talking about, paying the bills. Put some money into their products, maybe hire some people that are, you know, better designers that they are, so they can work on programming or vice versa, and what have you. Did did you ever find that you were that you got like a little stuck in consulting or freelancing mode, and that you weren't putting enough time into your products? And did you ever have to like rip yourself away from like maybe the perceived security that you were getting from the freelance did you ever like did you was that ever like a struggle that you had to deal with and if so like how did you handle it
1: um it wasn't such a struggle because the consulting business I started when I was out of work just to like give myself a paycheck and that's all my goal was for those first you know couple of years and then but I immediately knew that as soon as assuming I could generate enough interest from customer clients I wanted to not be the guy doing the development, or at least wanted to have other people doing work for customers as well as myself. I wanted to scale that little business um, and get it to where it was making more money than I could make on my own. Um, And so for a number of years, I was happy just focusing on like, hey, you know, eventually having eight or ten guys working for clients, including myself. Like, I was still doing contracts for like government agencies and stuff, and we had an apartment in D.C., and we were having a good time. It's like a lot of us, including Tom and other friends, we were having a good time doing consulting, making pretty good rates. And, and the business was growing and putting money in the bank. And the reason I mention all that is, is that that business, making money off of us and others, was what allowed us to try these other ideas okay. and hire people to try them. And it's precisely when the Engine Yard idea came along, the consulting company, Quality Humans, Inc., had 70K in the bank. It had a credit line. It had some resources, not huge resources, but some resources so we could like, put you know, effort into Engine Yard. Yeah. Like for in, you know, for instance, our office manager Ricky at Quality Humans Inc. was the office manager for Engine Yard. You know, so like and eventually Engine Yard sucked up all of her time. But it was all being paid by Quality Humans Inc. Um, so in answer to your question, no, I don't remember ever having like a big conflict because I was happy trying to make this consulting company make more money than I could make. And then using that, the freedom that comes from that after a while, like you don't have to take every gig because right. you have other guys doing gigs. So you can get up a level a little bit, kind of yeah. manage it, make money, and look at other opportunities.
0: Yeah, so it sounds like you you, you basically started scaling almost, almost immediately with even even the quote-unquote like freelancing or service business.
1: Yeah, I mean because like it's – yeah. I mean, it was on my mind. I wanted to get more clients than I could handle. Yeah. And I wanted to sub them to people I knew who were really good and make some money off of it. Right. Right. So.
0: Well, that sounds like a really good place for us to uh, wrap up. So thanks again for joining, uh, joining me on the Project Idealism podcast. And Lance, thanks a ton for, for joining me. It was really, really great. I appreciate it.
1: No, I enjoy it. And, you know, definitely thank you for having me.
0: Absolutely. Them this fight, it's I Are you past tonight?